Hope you're doing well this morning. Uh, for those of you I don't know, uh, my name's Todd, and I'm the pastor here. And uh, we're glad that you're here at Hilton Head Island Community Church to worship. And uh, I'm excited about this current series that we just started last week called Big Faith. And uh, we began last week by talking about developing a hunger for big faith. And we talked about the fact that uh, there are times in our lives where we need to trust God. You know, in the Bible, there are two different types of faith. There's a faith that's called a saving faith. And that's having faith in Jesus Christ as your personal Savior and asking Him uh, to be your personal Savior because of what He did on the cross for eternal life. But then there's also the faith that in the Bible that talks about having faith in God and trusting Him to see you through a situation or trusting Him for something that's in the future or trusting Him for, for something that is a need. And so the faith that we're talking about in this series is that second kind of faith have faith to trust God for what may be in the future. And so we've uh, talked about having a hunger for big faith. And so last week we talked about how when we, when we have an opportunity to exercise our faith and the only thing that we do is look to ourselves and look to other people and look to a, a situation from a logical standpoint, all of that is great and it's good, but all it is is strategy. It's not big faith. But when we have the opportunity to exercise our faith in a big God and we do that, that is having a big faith. That's a situation where we really exercise great faith. I mean, huge faith in a God who is a big God and we can trust him. And so today we'll make a little bit of a transition. We'll talk today about what it means to make room for big faith in our lives. And next week we'll talk about having faith during the blackout when things don't look good, when things are, are really kind of crashing in. How do you have faith during those times? And so I'm excited about these next few weeks and trusting God for the future. And it's interesting, as we approach this series and as we talk about it and open God's Word, these things can be applied not only to our lives individually. I mean, we all have opportunity to trust God, don't we? But we have an opportunity as a church to trust God for the future involving our new building that we released the plans on last week. And so I'll be talking a little bit more about that. We have an opportunity both in our individual lives and in our corporate church life to trust God and have big faith for the future. Will you pray with me before we dive in this morning? Father God, in the strong name of Jesus, I just pray and ask that you would be with us this morning, that you would guide and direct our service. Father God, I pray that you're pleased as a result of our worship. And Father, in the strong name of Jesus, I pray that you would just bind Satan from this room, God. I pray that your Holy Spirit would lead us into truth, into understanding, and into wisdom this morning. Father God, I pray that you would help those who may have walked in here this morning. And God, they're down to their last breath. God, things are really looking tough. And God, there's an opportunity in their life that they have to exercise faith. And I pray this morning that you would help us to understand from the life of this character in the Bible that we're going to take a look at, God, that we can have big faith and that we can make room for that in our lives. Help us to put into practice some of the principles that we'll talk about this morning. God, I pray that um, my words are not mine. I pray that they're yours. And God, I pray that your Holy Spirit would just lead and guide us this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We, uh, we have a funny little thing that happens in our house with a four-year-old boy and a seven-year-old little girl. 
our four-year-old is getting to the point where just looking at him and looking at his expressions are just fascinating. We just absolutely love it. And so Sean, his name's Sean, Sean will come up to us and he'll ask us a question. Daddy, can I go outside and play soccer? You know, we'll answer. Daddy, can uh, you know, I go in the backyard while the grill is on and play out in the backyard? No. Yeah. Can I go in the garage and play with all your tools? No, uh-uh, no, not going to happen. You know, can I this, can I that? And so uh, we will answer him either with the negative or the affirmative. We'll either say, Sean, no, you can't do that. Or we'll sometimes say, yes. And it's so funny because these last few months at four years old, when we say yes, you know, can I go outside and ride my bike? We'll say yes. And he every time has responded recently with, did you say yes? (laughs) And it caused Cynthia and I to pause and think about the fact that we must say no a lot. (laughs) But it's, it's interesting to see him do that. You know, did you say yes? And then our seven-year-old, we'll be talking to her, and we'll give her instruction, and she's growing up, and she's just like me. She doesn't listen very well. So anyway, so we'll talk, we'll talk to her, and we'll say, hey, Sydney, we need you to, uh, to do this. And we'll even call her by her first name and say that, and she'll go, are you talking to me? Are you talking to me? We'll give her some kind of instruction or something that she needs to do. Are you talking to me? Are you talking to me? And we've been talking about this a lot in our family here lately, and we got thinking about the fact that We have a tendency to do both of those things with God often, don't we? You know, we'll ask God for something. I mean, we've got that thing in our lives that we're really trusting Him for, and like we, our faith is developing, and we have an opportunity to exercise that, and He actually comes through and gives it to us, and we go, did you say yes? And then there are times when He's speaking, He's leading us to do something that we're supposed to do, or, wait a minute, not do something that we're currently involved in, and he's asking us to do something, and we often look at him, and we say, are you talking to me? (laughs) Is that really meant for me? Or were you speaking to someone else or for someone else? And so when God is speaking, when he's leading us to do something, we have the tendency to drown him out or be surprised when he wants us uh, to move forward and he answers those prayers. And so uh, sometimes we have this thing that we do, this mindset and this tendency to to really kind of drown God out and to not take him seriously enough. And I think there are a lot of reasons why we do that, but I think one of the greatest reasons that we drown God out, that we may ignore him when he's speaking, that we may not listen to him when he gives us a command or a step of obedience, I believe is because our lives are so full of all of our stuff we're consumed with everything of life, you know, the relationships, the, the, the circumstances that are beyond our control, the finances, the career, the, the opportunities for us to advance. We're so consumed, we're so filled with all of this stuff, how we feel about stuff, what can we get our hands on. We're so full of all this stuff that it's drowning out the voice of God in our lives. And so today's topic is how to have faith and how to make room in our lives to have faith in God during those times when we really need to trust him, when we really need to rely on him, and when we have the opportunity to exercise faith that we won't have that classic moment of, are you talking to me? Or did you say yes, really? That we actually listen and do what God says to do. 
If you have your Bibles, we're going to take a look real quick at Hebrews, and then we're going to move to Genesis. So turn your your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 11, and then we're going to switch over to Genesis chapter 6. During the rest of this series, we're going to be using Hebrews 11 as a platform to talk about what it means to have big faith. Hebrews 11, if you don't know this, Hebrews 11 was written specifically to demonstrate and to put characters in the Bible on display who had great faith in God. And so Hebrews 11 is often referred to as the hall of faith in the Bible. And so we take a look at at these different characters, and we're not going to be doing a verse-by-verse study, but we're going to take a look at different characters over uh, the course of the rest of this series and how they had great faith. And specifically today, we're going to be taking a look at a character that many of you know, perhaps all of you know very well. In fact, this character in the Bible, if you ever went to church as a young kid, if you ever spent maybe two Sundays in Sunday school or something like that, you probably heard the story of this character we're going to take a look at this morning. It may have even been the first Bible story that you heard about. And so I want us to take this story and to investigate it from the viewpoint of how did this man have faith? Where did he put his faith and trust in God, and what were the circumstances, what were the necessary required things that he had in his life that we can put into our lives to have big faith in a big God. Listen to the way that the writer of Hebrews describes our character this morning, which is Noah. By faith, Noah, when warned about things not seen, Remember we talked about the fact last week, we talked about the fact that faith is putting trust in God for that which we don't know and which we can't see. When warned about things not yet seen, in holy fear, that's a good thing by the way, holy fear, to have holy fear. In holy fear, he built an ark to save his family. Noah walked by faith. And so let's take a closer look at Noah this morning. Now you can turn back to Genesis chapter 6, and we're going to spend the bulk of our time in Genesis 6 for the rest of the, the morning. Now I want to give you a little bit of background. Noah was the man that God called to build an ark because God was about ready to flood the earth. And I'm often asked the question, why in the world would God have flooded the earth? You know, why does this happen? And without going into too much detail this morning, God flooded the earth essentially because of this. At that point in human history, mankind had become so vile, so violent, so murderous, so blasphemous, so ugly, and so terrible that God, a holy, perfect, just, righteous God, could have nothing to do with that. Now, Remember, this is in the day before Jesus came, was born, died, buried, and rose again from the dead, and he did so for the redemption of our sins. So all of those vile things would have been taken care of. But this was in the day before that, and a holy, just, perfect God could have nothing to do with all of these terrible things that were happening in history. Many theologians and experts believe that this was the lowest point in the history of mankind in terms of uh, violence and uh, murders and vileness. It was awful. It was an awful time. It was simply the worst time for mankind ever. And so God, who had already created creation, decided that he would obliterate every living thing on the earth. But he came to a man named Noah, and he asked Noah to help him out. Now, I want you to put yourself in Noah's shoes this morning. God comes to you and he says, I'm going to cause a catastrophic flood 
so great that every living creature on the earth is going to be completely wiped out. And I want you to help me with this. Really? God, is that what you want me to do? Are you sure that it wasn't someone else? Are you talking to me? God, really? Couldn't you have found someone else? But as we just saw, this man, Noah, had great faith. You know, when I think about this, when God approached Noah, Noah could have objected, couldn't he? I mean, he could have said, but God, I have all of these things to take care of. But God, I've got my portfolio to take care of. But God, I've got my career. We don't really know exactly what Noah did. I've got my career to take care of. I would imagine he was a farmer. I've got a great farm going here, God. I've got this to take care of. But God, my kids are involved in every sport in their school. Come on, you can't ask me to do this right now. But God, I've failed you in these other things. I'm righteous, I know that, but I'm still sinful. I let you down in these other areas. How in the world could you use me, God? Noah could have gotten defensive, but by faith, he believed God for those things that aren't seen. And what we see is a man who had room. I want you to catch this. He had room in his life to exercise big faith. He had enough room in his life that when God said go, what did he do? He went. He went. We have a hard time imagining ourselves like Noah. And we have a hard time imagining ourselves like these spiritual giants. But consider for a moment, consider that if God asked us to do something, consider for a moment that instead we could do it. Not because of anything that we've done. Not because of any power that we have, but consider for just a moment that when God calls us to do that which is outrageous, we say yes and we actually do it because we place big faith in a big God. Imagine for a moment that God comes to us and asks us for something huge, and he gives us a promise that he's going to deliver. And he says, if you do your part, I'll do mine. And let's consider for a moment that we actually take him up on his word and we actually step out in faith and we actually do it. Consider three things this morning that Noah did that are absolutely required to make room for big faith. This morning, I'm going to draw you to your notes. Let's take a look at three things among, I'm sure, many others that Noah did that were requirements for big faith. First of all, Noah had a passion passionate heart to do good. Making room for big faith requires that we have a passionate heart to do good. That we have a passionate heart to do good. Genesis 6 verses 8 and 9 says this, but Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. This is the account of Noah. Noah was a righteous man. The first thing, the first word that describes this man named Noah is righteous. And by the way, that word does not mean perfect does it? Righteous means set apart, that he had put himself aside to be used by God. He had cleansed his life. He purified his life. He was righteous. He was a righteous man, blameless among the people of his time. Remember, humanity had gone so corrupt and they were so blasphemous. They didn't want to have anything to do with God. And Noah was blameless and righteous and he walked with God. That meant that he had a spiritual journey that he talked to God, that he communicated with God, that he had interaction with God. And so just like Job, who we studied a few weeks ago in our series Old School, this man Noah is a man who is blameless, and it's very obvious that God is pleased with him. But what does it mean to be righteous? 
What does it mean to be a person that has such great faith that they allow room to exercise their faith? They allow room for God to work. Well, I believe that sometimes it means that we have to make room for what's new. We have to make room for what's new and what's good and what's pure and what's holy. Cynthia and I have been married um, 16 years this past summer, and um, I'm glad I got that right, by the way. Anyway, I'm pretty proud of myself right now. <laughs> We've been married for 16 years this past summer, and we have a little practice in our home that even way before kids that we do, and we do it all the time. We've done it every year, and we do it just kind of in the course of life. Um, if we go out and buy an article of clothing, or if someone gives us an article of clothing, you know, Christmas or whatever the case may be, and we have a new article of clothing, we always will go into our closets or into our drawers, and we will look, and we will find something that's old, and we will put it aside for the clothing connection. We'll plug here. No, I'm just kidding. We actually will put it aside for the clothing connection. In some cases, we throw it out. But we will put it aside to give to someone else. And we take out the old and we replace it with the new. And you know what? That's what God wants us to do in our spiritual lives. He wants us to take out what's old, what's ugly, what's uh, terrible, what's hideous, what's bad, what's sinful, what's evil. And he wants us to replace that with what's new, and there's a reason for that. Paul, in, in Colossians 3, says this. I want you to catch this. If there's anything you catch this morning, it's this. Since then, you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts, set your hearts on what? Things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. He goes on to say, set your minds on things above, not on earthly things, for you died and your life is now hidden with God in Christ. Paul says that you have to take out the old stuff and replace it with what is good and what is lovely and what is pure. And I think it's the most interesting thing here. I want you to catch this, that he talks about the heart and the mind back to back. Because in our spiritual lives, in our walks with God, those two things are linked together. They're inseparable. Paul knew that the things that we would think on, that the things that we would dwell on in our minds were those things that would come out of our hearts. You see, if we want to be people who exercise big faith, if we want to be people who make room for big faith and that have a passionate heart to do good, we ourselves have to be good. Not perfect, but we ourselves have to be good. Noah was a righteous man. He was blameless and upright before God. And there's a stark difference between what is good and what is bad. And the things that we dwell on, the things that we fill our minds with, eventually filling our minds with those things over and over and over and over again are going to be the very things that we become passionate about, good, bad, or ugly. And Paul knew that the mind and the heart are linked. If we fill our minds with those things that society and the world says, or as Paul says, those earthly things, if we fill our minds with that stuff long enough, that's what our hearts are going to produce. Are you with me this morning? But if we fill our minds with things that are good and pure and that are heavenward and that are God-focused, given enough time, that's what our heart is going to produce. And so to be people who are passionate, who have a heart that's passionate to do good, we need to be people who cleanse ourselves and purify ourselves and take out that old and replace it with what is new. I would imagine that some of you are here this morning and 
before you can even exercise your faith. Perhaps there's something or some things in your life that you need to take out. Take out the junk. We all have to do this from time to time, don't we? It doesn't matter whether you're a spiritual giant like Noah or whether you're someone just like the rest of us. Sometimes you have to confess things and get rid of it. And the Bible talks about two things that we can do to become righteous. One is confession, that we need to confess our sins, those shortcomings, those failures to God. And it says, the Bible says that he will forgive us our sins. Isn't that great news? But there's a second part to that. It's not just confession, it's also repentance. The Bible talks about repentance and how if we want to really take out that old stuff and become people who have a heart to do good or have a passionate heart to do good, we got to take out the old and we have to confess, but we have to turn around. And that's repentance. I can say all day long that I've done something wrong and confess that and know that God has forgiven me from that. But to truly change, to truly have a complete 180 degree turnaround requires us to repent from what we've done. And the Bible also speaks of repentance. And that, if we can do that, if we can get our minds around confessing and repenting, that'll lead us to a place where we are just like Noah. We're righteous. And then we're in a position. Then we're in a position to have a passionate heart to do good. You know, every time in Scripture that God uses a person or people, men, women, children, whatever the case may be, before he uses them in an amazing, faithful way, there's a period of purification that they go through. There's a period where they confess sins. There's a period where they take out what's old and replace it with what's new. That's why I've asked us as a church to move into this 21-day fast. I announced it last week. It starts today, by the way. And so if you're a part of Hilton and Allen Community Church, I'm going to ask you, if you can, to fast from something. For some of you, it may be food. Uh, We will have uh, details of this on our website and uh, through our blogs and that sort of thing. So we'll help you with all this stuff. And there, there are many resources for this. But I'm asking us as a church... We're on the verge of moving into this facility whose plans you saw last week for the first time. And we'll be starting construction probably sometime after January. But we have got an amazing thing to accomplish with God's help. We have to raise a lot of money before the end of the year. I'm asking us to purify ourselves so that we can be people who make room for big faith. And we can be people who have a passionate heart to do good. And so I'm asking for us, whatever that may be in your life, that you're fasting, that you uh, can fast from to do that. Over these next 21 days, to seek God, to ask him to help us when there's that thing in our life that we always are used to, that we have to have, that we don't have now, that we go to God for help and we can see how he can help us out. But it's also to initiate a period of cleansing and to clean up our lives. So the first thing that big faith having big faith and making room for big faith requires is a passionate heart to do good. The second thing, is a courageous heart to handle opposition. A courageous heart to handle opposition. Let's keep on reading Genesis 6, 14 through 21. The Lord comes to to Noah and he says this, So make yourself an ark of cypress wood. Make rooms in it and coat it with a pitch inside and out. Basically says make sure it's you got indoor paint and outdoor paint on this ark, okay? Uh, This is how you're to build it. Listen to these specific instructions that God gives Noah. The ark is to be 450 feet long, 75 feet wide, 45 feet high. Make a roof for it and finish the ark to within 18 inches of the top. Put a door in the side of the ark and make lower 
middle, and upper decks. I'm going to bring floodwaters on the earth to destroy all life under the heavens, every creature that has breath of life in it. Everything on earth will perish, but I will establish my covenant with you and you will enter the ark. You and your sons and your wives and your wives' sons with you. You are to bring into the ark two of all living creatures. Let me tell you something. Noah and his family better like animals. Listen to this. Two of every living creature you're to bring in the ark, uh, and male and female to keep them alive. Two of every kind of bird. I hope Noah was a bird guy. He had to live with a lot of birds. Every kind of animal and every kind of creature that moves along the ground. Noah and his family better be snake people because that's what it's talking about right there. Uh, every kind of creature that uh, crawls along the ground that comes to you will be kept alive. You are to take care of every kind of food that is to be eaten and stored away as food for you and for them. Now picture this. Here's Noah just going about his blameless and pure upright life. God comes and interrupts his life and says, I need for you to build the largest thing that man has ever built to date. That's what most experts believe. It's to be 450 feet long, the length of two and a half football fields. It was to be 75 feet wide, almost double this room size. It was to be 45 feet in the air. That's, by the way, half of the Harbortown Lighthouse. That's how tall it was. This was a massive, massive boat. And Noah was to build this boat. And a lot of people have a picture, we all do, maybe from Sunday school or pictures that we've seen, of this nice-looking wooden thing that has this nice little pitch on it. And you can almost call it a house. And it had a nice pitched roof on it. No, that's not what it looked like at all. It was a giant box. It was a rectangular box that floated. Most experts believe there was no rudder on this. There was no sail on it. They literally bobbed up and down for the whole time that the earth was flooded. It took Noah 120 years to build the ark. Isn't that incredible? I grew up in a neighborhood, and I had a friend uh, across the street. His name was Eric. Eric and I played football, and we got the, a bunch of the other kids in the neighborhood around to play football, and we would, we'd go out in the, in the yard, and we'd have fun. I mean, we didn't do, like, flag. We tackled, and I never played organized football ever, and it, it, it's uh, no wonder. We were awful. We, we did flea flickers on every play. Like, seriously, like, hand it to the running back, running back, run to the line, throw it back to the quarterback, quarterback, throw it to the uh, receiver, and, you know, there were incomplete passes almost every time. We were terrible, but we had fun. Eric had a dad, his dad had a Mustang, like a 1965, you know, Mustang. It was beautiful, but he worked on that thing, and he put it right outside the garage. <laughs> You've seen this, haven't you? Or maybe some of you do this. He put it up on cinder blocks, like three or four cinder blocks. The hood was open. There was a tarp there, and he worked on it all the time. We lived in this house for like seven or eight years. He worked on it all the time. The hood was never closed. The thing never ran. He just worked on it. I mean, it was Jiffy Lube right across the street from our house. It just became that in our neighborhood. And he worked on it all the time. I, this is Noah. I, I mean, he's building this huge ark. It takes him 120 years. People are probably coming from all parts of the earth to hear about this crazy guy who God said to build something, and he actually did it. I mean, this guy is crazy. He's out of his mind, but he does it. He does it. And the Bible doesn't specifically say this, but I would imagine 
that he had a tremendous amount of opposition, wouldn't you think? I bet he got laughed at. I bet he got made fun of. I, I bet there were times that he looked at God in like year 78 and went, really, God? Come on. By the way, people lived a lot longer back then, so uh, that's, the, uh, that's the result of that. He was building this ark, this monstrosity, and I'm sure that people made fun of. But you know what I would guess? I would guess that probably some of his greatest objections came from those who were a part of his inner circle. Sometimes that happens. When God moves and he tells you to do something, all of a sudden, many times, not always, but many times the greatest source of objection are those who call themselves religious. Isn't that true sometimes? And if we are people that we are righteous, that we're pure before God, and we truly believe that God is telling us to do something, we need to have a passionate heart, heart to be courageous during times of objection. We need to be passionate and courageous. In the New Testament, Peter, who was the, uh, basically the father of the church, it, God told him in Acts 8 and 9 and 10, 10 there that he needed to do something that was absolutely dramatic that he needed to take the gospel to the Gentiles. He needed to tell the story of Jesus and share that with not just the Jewish people that lived there, but also the Gentiles and to the uncircumcised. This was a message that God had intended for all people from all different walks of life, from all different areas of the world, from black, white, uh, pe people who come from different denominations. God wanted the message of Jesus preached to everyone and Peter did that. And you know who are the first people to laugh at him? Christians. Take a look at this. Acts 11, 1 through 14. The apostles and the brothers throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles also received the word of God. So Peter went up to Jerusalem. The circumcised believers, and by the way, that was a badge of honor for religious people, they criticized him and they said, you went into the house of the uncircumcised men and ate with them. This was a terrible thing for people to do in this religious culture. Peter began, and he explained everything to them precisely as it had happened. And then Peter goes into this explanation, but look at verse 18. After he explains in many verses there in verse 18, when they had heard this, they had no further objections, and they praised God and said, so then God has granted even the Gentiles' repentance unto life. In this case, Peter overcame their objections, but oftentimes it is Christians, it is people who are closest to us who give us our greatest objections when we hear from God and when we begin to follow his commands. Now, I'm not saying it's bad to have accountability. We all need accountability. But what I'm saying is that sometimes in life, God will call us to that which is radical, which seems absolutely outrageous, which may not even make any sense. And we need to have a courageous heart to stand up to those objections that are going to come our way. Thirdly, making room for big faith not only requires us to have a passionate heart to do good, a courageous heart to handle opposition, but we also need to have an obedient heart to follow God. Now, we know how this story ends, right? By the way, we're part of the end of that story, aren't we? <laughs> we know how the story ends. Noah obeys God. But I want you to see how the Bible says it. I love how the Bible says it. Genesis 6, 22. Noah did 
everything just as God commanded him. Go down to 7.5. Noah did all that the Lord commanded him to do. Take a look at Genesis 7, 5, 7.5 on that very day, or 13, I'm sorry. On that very day, Noah and his sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth, together with his wife and the wives of the three sons, entered the ark. You see, Noah was blameless and upright, but he made room for big faith. I want you to catch this because he did what God told him to do. It's as simple as that. He did it. He didn't say yes and then not follow through. There's a huge difference, isn't there, between saying yes and actually doing something. If you're a parent, you know this well. It's often that your child will say, yeah, I'll go clean up my room. But obedience isn't saying yes, is it? Obedience is what? Doing it. And Noah did it. He entered the ark. He did all of those things that God had commanded him to do. I would imagine that there are hundreds of different things that you're thinking of right now. There are probably, in this room, hundreds of different things that each one of you are thinking of something different that God has been calling you to do. What is that thing? You know, our object of faith ought to be God. But God often places in our lives an object to be faithful for. What is that in your life? Is it a restored relationship? Is it financial peace? Is it a career that needs to get back on track? Is it a long-standing, stressful-filled relationship that you've had with maybe a mom or a dad or a brother and a sister? What is that thing that God is saying to you right now? I need for you to go beyond just saying yes. I need for you to obey me. And sometimes making room for big faith is literally taking one step and then another step, and following God and doing what he has told us to do. What is that thing that you need for God to come through for you on? I know as a church, I don't know what yours is personally, but as a church, we need God to come through so that we can move down a few miles down the road at mile marker nine at Hargray. I announced last week that we have a goal of raising $300,000 before the end of this calendar year so that we can outfit that place with just the necessary and required things that are needed to go in there. And I would imagine that our construction will start sometime in, in January. That's probably a, a good guess. But do you realize the faith that that's going to require? See, for me, when I say that out loud, $300,000, that sounds outrageous to me. That sounds crazy. I don't know about you, but I feel like Noah. And I would imagine that some of you probably feel like him too. But God is calling us as a church to outfit that building, not so that we can have a nice place to call our church home, but so that we can reach out and reach the 68% of people who don't have a church home, many of whom don't know Jesus as their Savior. He's calling us to do that so that we can have a spiritual care station, a spiritual place where people can turn their lives over. They can confess of sin. They can repent and be baptized, as the Bible says. We're going to do that because God is calling us to so that we can reach our community for him. And so we have an opportunity, even in our church, to make room for big faith, don't we, right now? So as we enter this 21 days, 
I'm going to ask you to search your heart, purify yourselves, have clean hands and a pure heart before God. Because we collectively, we all have our individual things that we need God to come through for, but we corporately as a church are going to have to have big faith in a big God to see that happen. So let's take these 21 days seriously. Will you do that with me, church? Will you do that with me, Hilton and Island Community Church? Whatever it is that God is asking for you to do without over these next 21 days, take it as a time to ask for his blessing, for his leading, for his wisdom, for his guidance, not just in that thing that you're thinking of, but also in that thing that we as a church need to trust him for. Will you pray with me this morning? Father God, I thank you for Noah. I thank you for this man of great faith. What a great example he is. God, help us to resist the temptation to think that that kind of faith is unattainable. God, help us to resist the temptation to think that he was a spiritual giant and we're not. And there's no way that we could ever have faith to trust you for that which is unseen. Father God, in the strong name of Jesus, I pray that you would help us to make room in our lives for you to work. God, I pray that we are a people that purify ourselves, that get rid of the old so that it can be replaced with the new, that get rid of the junk so that it can be replaced with the good. God, Father God, I pray in the strong name of Jesus that we are people who make room for uh, big faith. God, help us in our lives to have a passionate heart to do good. Help us, God, in our lives to have a courageous heart to stand up against that opposition. And God, in our lives, I pray that you would help us and lead us and guide us to move beyond just saying yes, but God, that we would actually do that thing that you have called us to do. God, help us to be people who are obedient. Help us to be people who walk with you like Noah did. Help us to be people who are righteous and good. Help us as a church to purify ourselves. And Father God, I pray that you would do amazing spiritual things as we kick off this 21 days of prayer and fasting. Help us to be faithful to that, God. Give us the strength and the courage to be able to do that. And help us, most of all, to seek your face during these 21 days together. In Jesus' name we pray.